Hey, Chicago, what do you say? It's the CHGO Cubs podcast on the heels of baseball's winter meetings in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Maybe not the most exciting winter meetings ever, but there's still a lot of anticipation for the Cubs. But this podcast is dedicated to the rivalries we have, okay? The White Sox are not a rivalry. Stop with it. That's, That's an inner city thing. We're talking about the division rivals, the two big rivals that the Cubs have. Who are they? Obviously, the Cardinals and the Brewers, right? Absolutely. Let's start the podcast by trying to find out a little bit more about each of those those rivals as they get ready to to go from the offseason to spring training and into the season. And we thought, well, the best way to do that is talk to some of their insiders, right? So first thing we did was we thought we got to start with the Cardinals because they're they will forever be the Cubs, as much as the Brewers want to be the Cubs' number one rival. Even with the Craig Council thing, would you agree that the Cardinals are still oh, yeah. enemy number yeah. one, public was, enemy number one? The only thing I hate more than the St. Louis Cardinals in, in my entire life is that stupid football team in Green Bay. <laughs> All right. No, yeah, the Cardinals yeah. are still enemy number one in Chicago. And it's just the history of the rivalry. Like The Brewers, I, I guess if you want to say like recent heat, the Brewers Cubs rivalry is probably yeah, it's more of a recent thing. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like recent heat is probably that, but mm-hmm. just historic hate, it's the Cubs Cardinals. Oh, yeah. So we had a chance to talk with one of their beat writers to find out more about the Cardinals and where this rivalry might be headed. Joined by Katie Wu, the Cardinals beat writer for the Athletic. And thanks for coming by, first of all. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This has been an exciting winter meetings. That's one Not, way to put yeah. it. <laughs> what? So tell us, tell us about the Cardinals because Cody down there enjoyed nothing more than seeing the Cardinals struggle last year. I I'll be like... honest, I was the same way. Uh, I did feel bad when people would tag me in Katie's tweets, though, because it's like she doesn't. Like it's not her. Like I'm well, not. I, I, I don't want to like. I'm just praying on my downfall, personally. <laughs> no, I wasn't praying on your downfall. Like it's it's always about just preying on their downfall. Not I, yours. I think the thing was we all sat through covering a very poor 162 game season the year before. So like we we empathize with you. Hey, no, you know it was a, it was a bad year for St. Louis, and I think Chicago fans have every right to be happy about that. That's what the rivalry is. I know Cardinals fans would certainly be happy if the roles were reversed. So I get it. All's fair in baseball, right, guys? Yeah, exactly. So the question is, will the Cardinals be better next season? Because I feel like the Cubs didn't take advantage of a perfect season where they could have just run away with the division. They made moves. Bellinger turned out to be great. And and potentially this offseason could be the same way where the Brewers seem to be taking a step back. The Cardinals clearly took a step back. And the Reds and Pirates weren't as good as maybe some people expected that they might be. So will the Cardinals be better so far next season? Well, the bar is low. I'm going to say yes. Um, I, I do think they will be considerably better. I don't think they're going to lose 90 games again. I was surprised the Cubs didn't do more at the trade deadline last year to take advantage of a really down year in the NL Central. Do I think the Cardinals are a playoff team right now with their current roster construction? I don't. Do I like the moves that they've made so far? Most of them, yes, of course. I think Sonny Gray was a huge addition for them. He was their top target. They mm-hmm. wanted him from the day one of the offseason. And they're off to a great start in terms of ensuring they have durable uh coveted any meters that's what they yeah. looked for and they got three of them in gray lancelin and kyle gibson but they've been pretty candid their present baseball operations john mosaloc has said there's still plenty of work to be done and i would agree yeah so i, I going into the offseason 
Mo's had said that starting pitching, like was it three, getting he wanted to get three starting pitchers? Yes, he got them. Do you think? I know you said like you, you like, but do you think they could have done better with what they got, or do you think that this, the three that guys that they have brought in actually sets them up for success as a starting pitching unit? Like, do you think? Do you think they should add more? Do you think they should have uh, added better arms or more reliable arms or whatever? Or do you think they could run out this rotation and, you know, assuming they make other improvements to the mm-hmm. roster as well, they can run out with this rotation and be a competitive ball club? I definitely think this this rotation in stone, or it's not in stone right now, but what they have in Sonny Gray, Miles Michaelis, Lanson, Kyle Gibson, and Steven Matz is much more durable than any combination of their rotation they rolled out last year. Mm-hmm. I think they're miles ahead in that regard and making sure they can just have enough innings covered because there were many, many times in St. Louis where starters could not get out of the second or third inning and they were just at a complete loss for innings. Mm-hmm. Um, from that standpoint, I, I do appreciate and understand those moves and I think they made a lot of sense. What's the point in getting a starter if you are still missing two, right? Sure. What's the point in landing Sonny Gray if you have nobody to slot after him to fill in those innings? So you have one guy every five days that you can count on. Mm-hmm. Um, that I do, I do understand their strategy there. Would If I was a Cardinals fan, would I feel better about the rotation if there was one more arm to pair in the upper top? Absolutely. Can they make up for that by getting some electric arms in the bullpen? Yes. I think it's a fluid offseason for them. Mm-hmm. There's still two months remaining. I like the rotation. I would like it even more with added enforcements. Sure. You know, all this talk about pitching for good reason, because it wasn't good last year. I I was really surprised at how bad they were defensively. Yes. And Jordan Walker um, was awful in right field whenever they played the Cubs, at least. So I just assume he was like that all season. So I'm curious about their direction with him going forward, because he went into last year with the most hype of any prospect. And I wouldn't say he was a massive disappointment or anything. I think there's a lot to like there with the bat. But defensively, I'm curious somehow the Cardinals are going to go into next year with him. Jordan Walker was put in a really tough position to succeed by putting him in the outfield because he had come up through high school, through the Cardinals system as their top prospect as a third baseman. Sure, Cardinals have a third baseman. Perhaps you've heard of him in Nolan Arenado. (laughs) So it became pretty clear they were going to have to switch him to the outfield when he skipped AAA out of spring training and made the opening day club, it was clear he was going to start in the outfield because there's no reason to bring up your top prospect if you're not going to play him every day. And he had a stellar, fantastic spring. The unfortunate part for Jordan was he was learning to play the outfield, a position he had played professionally six months at the major league level. And he was doing so for a team that came out of the gate and instantly lost expectations. Mm-hmm. They came, the Cardinals came out and they stuttered and they never recovered. So not only is Jordan trying to live up to the personal hype, he's also trying to learn a new position in a time where everyone around him in a usually stable organization is stumbling. So that was really tough for him, but credit to Jordan because he still showed out there every day and he was with Willie McGee, one of the all-time greats for the Cardinals, and worked in that outfield every day. And it did get better towards the end. Was it good in the beginning? No, it was not. Were there some tough plays to watch? Absolutely. But that way he handled it, made the Cardinals feel very comfortable and confident that he was built right to handle this kind of tough task that they put, that they added onto him. He moved down to Jupiter over the offseason. He's been working at the Cardinals complex. That's where they play in their spring training. Uh, to be a lot better there. They're planning him to be hit their starting right fielder next year because they believe in his overall athleticism. And while he might not be a you know, six-time gold glover at the end of his career, they're confident that he has the makeup and the athleticism to be successful there after a year where they arguably did not set him up for success in that position. 
so much was made in Chicago of Wilson Contreras, uh, a lifetime Cub going to St. Louis, the arch rival. Who? Yeah. See, see what I'm saying? So how would you summarize so far what Wilson has gone through in St. Louis and what does his future look like with the Cardinals? Talk about a tough start in St. Louis, uh, you know, getting removed of your starting catcher duties right before you go back to the organization, the only organization that you've known. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting talking to Mo on Monday where he was candid, I think, for the first time and saying, you know, perhaps we as the Cardinals were a little naive on how that transition would go. When you have Yadier Molina behind the plate for two decades, you I don't want to say you get complacent, but you just kind of show up and you know that position is yeah. going to be taken care of. And I think the Cardinals were caught off guard, and, and I don't know why, because the, the book's been open on Contreras for a while. He's an offensive first catcher, and I think he'd be the first to say that, that the defense was was so starkly different from Yachty's. And that's not fair to Contreras by any means. Yadier Molina is Yadier Molina for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think Mo was, was honest and said, you know, we were a little naive on how that would go, and perhaps we should have kept some things in-house. Um, I think if they had a do-over button for the 2023 season, they would start there, but... Uh, both Ollie and Mo had been pretty confident in the way that Contreras ended the season in terms of his how he prepared, um, his the overall trends he was making, the advancements he was making in uh, play calling, framing, things like that. And they certainly feel much more confident, comfortable and confident next year with Contreras. And I think he feels the same. And another you know, and other position player news, right? You mentioned Jordan Walker and, and, and playing the outfield. There's obviously an outfield logjam a little bit in uh, in St. Louis now. You talked to Cardinals front office yesterday, and there's you know rumblings about Tyler O'Neill possibly being traded. What can you tell us about that situation with Tyler O'Neill and the rest of the outfield? I think it made a lot of sense just looking at the roster next year that someone from the outfield is going to have to go. The Cardinals in at the GM meetings in November, Mo went out and said, you know, here's what we're planning, and it was Lars Newbar and left Tommy Edmond the middle infielder in center field, but he's an exceptional center fielder and Jordan Walker and right. And that was pretty telling that Tyler O'Neill would be the one that they were going to, to try to move. And then Mo of course went out and said it on Monday on the record, called him out by name. You know, we are actively listening to, to trade offers for Tyler O'Neill. And the reason he did that was because he said it was obvious at this point that they were trying to move him. So why try to avoid it? Just mm-hmm. let's just say the elephant in the room, which I do respect. And um, it just came down to not having the amount of at-bats for him. And a big problem for the Cardinals in April, which ended up plaguing their season, was that positional logjam. There was no continuity in the lineup. Guys had no idea when they were going to play. There was a new lineup every single day. I think depth can obviously be a huge asset for your club. But when you don't have any continuity, when you're have, when you scrambling to have six outfielders play three spots every single day, guys can't get in rhythms, especially early on in April when it has that trickle-down effect. So there was just too much of a logjam in the outfield that impacted the rest of the lineup. And it made sense for the Cardinals to try to part with an outfielder to alleviate some of that. Yeah, I think I think that's like even with the DH spot in the National League now, that you might get a few extra at bats, but that doesn't. Yeah, when you got mm-hmm. six outfielders mm-hmm. trying to trying to find time, like even that doesn't make up for it. And they were all corner outfielders too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, I saw last year at the end of the year they called up Mason Wynn, and so I'm curious. You know, we're talking about the log jam in the outfield. I. It feels like, especially with Arenado and Goldschmidt still there, and obviously they're going to play every day. Um, it feels like, in a way, like they kind of have that same situation in the infield. Maybe I'm completely wrong on that, but it, I know they're high on him. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm, and with Tommy Edmond being as versatile as he is, you know, he can play short, play second, obviously center field, like you said. I'm curious on, you know, your what you, how you think they're going to, I guess, defend up the middle 
with him and whoever else going into the next season? I think it's a big question mark for them. Um, not with Mason Wynn necessarily. He's going to come in and compete and, and in a perfect world, he'll be their opening day shortstop. Mm-hmm. I think that's what the Cardinals are planning for. But they do have a bit of a logjam with Brennan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, guys that could potentially be on the trade block if the Cardinals decide to go that route to acquire p- uh, pitching, whether it's relief or starting. Um, I think it's a little complicated the way that Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, and Mason Wynn are all kind of intricated together. The Cardinals need Tommy Edmond in center, but if Mason Wynn comes out and he has a slow start or the Cardinals, you know, think he needs a little bit more time in AAA, well, then Tommy goes to shortstop and then Dylan Carlson becomes a center fielder. He's right now slotted to be the reserve. And that was another reason why the Cardinals decided to part with Tyler O'Neill because they needed the insurance of another center fielder and they have that in Carlson rather than Tyler. So the middle infield's a little less sturdy for me just because there's so many moving parts, but certainly can't deny that the Cardinals are really high on Mason Wynn. His defense is major league ready. He got more confident as the year went on. He only played for two months, but it's just a question of if that bat is going to be ready. Katie, thanks so much. It's always good to know what the division is up to, what the biggest rival is up to, and and hopefully we can catch up again either at the end of this offseason or when the Cardinals come to town or whatever, but we'd, we'd like to uh, do it again. Yeah, of course. You guys, thanks for having me. You do great work, and uh, hopefully the division's a little bit more competitive next year for all of us. We can all hope that Milwaukee continues to fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> is that what is it, like Cardinals fans, Cubs fans, like the I mean, meme? I, I guess the Cubs, that's, that's the one thing that we can for sure <laughs> shake our hands together with. So hopefully the uh, Cardinals continue to struggle again next season. But uh, Ryan, of course, you will never struggle in life if you have a membership to Midtown Athletic Club. Absolutely not, Luke. Midtown Athletic Club is amazing. It's got four Chicagoland locations, Palatine in the northwest suburbs, Bannockburn in the north shore, Willowbrook in the southwest suburbs, Midtown Athletic Club and hotel in the middle of Bucktown and Lincoln Park, which me and Cody, we've been there. We loved it. We had a great time. But Midtown Palatine has launched a multi-million dollar transformation of the club which will be complete in early 2024. Listeners can lock in favorable rates if they join before the end of the year. There's something at the clubs for everyone, whether you're single like us or you you got a family with kids like Luke. If you're someone looking to make lifestyle changes or looking for holistic wellness, they got it there for you. Midtown Chicago, the nicest fitness club I've ever been in. Let me tell you about some of their features. Got super luxe lock, locker rooms with wet and dry saunas and premium amenities. It's got amazing outdoor and indoor pools and hot tubs, a collection of boutique fitness studios with more than 100 classes per week included in the membership. And these are not, these are not just gym quality. The spaces are boutique quality. Listen up, Mark Carmen, because it's got the best tennis courts and programming in the sport. Midtown has indoor and outdoor tennis, pickleball and paddle tennis, USTA professional quality all the way. So head over to midtown.com slash CHGO to find out more and to tour the Midtown Athletic Club nearest you. Cody, it's getting easier for businesses to switch to electric vehicles. That's something we can all get behind for the health of the planet and for the well-being of all of us who share it. Yeah, Luke, the electric grid is evolving to meet your cleaner energy needs as we all move with confidence towards an electric tomorrow. Whether you have one delivery van or a whole fleet of shipping trucks, ComEd can help guide you to make the changes that make sense. So what should business owners do, Cody? Well, Luke... Ryan, you should both go to comed.com slash clean to learn more about the resources, fleet rebates, and infrastructure incentives available to help businesses go electric. If you own a business, don't wait. Start making your plan today to switch to electric vehicles. Good for business, good for the planet, good for all of us. Go to comed.com slash clean. Did you say comed.com slash clean? 
yeah, go now and see how going electric connects us to a better way of doing business and a better future for generations to come. All right, so Cardinals identified as enemy number one. Enemy number two, the Brewers, and it just got a little more interesting. So we had a chance to speak with one of their beat writers. All right, let's talk a little Brewers. We're going through the division here, and we're talking to Adam McAlvey, the Brewers beat writer for MLB.com. And Adam, first thing that's obvious, the connection to the Brewers is the Cubs now have their manager. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, made a little news. Yeah. yeah made right. a little news in the news. Has Wisconsin calmed down at all about the council leaving and not just leaving, leaving to end up with the Cubs? Yes. And, and that's the key. The council leaving was not the shock because <laughs> His lame duck status had been a story since spring training. And look, nine years, eight years at that time, he he had the the leverage to say, I want to see how the year plays out and what my family wants to do and where the team is at and how I feel at the end of the year before making a decision. So we'd been talking about that all year long. And of course, David Stern's going to the Mets. There's the obvious tie there. Mm-hmm. Maybe he takes a year away. His two boys are playing Big Ten baseball. Two girls are high school, playing high school sports in Whitefish Bay where Counts went to high school himself. So, like, him leaving was not a shock. But then when it was the Cubs, it was an absolute shock to absolutely everybody. Oh, you should have seen the way we scrambled in the office. (laughs) Yeah, and and I mean, (laughs) fans, media, everyone in, at, at least the Brewers front office. I mean, it was a total shock all the way to from the very bottom to the very top. So... Yeah, I think people have calmed down a little bit. He went to a Bucks game. Did he um, get heckled? Like, I'm uh, sure he got. <laughs> th- that's going to happen a little bit. But he made, you know, he was very clear. He This is his Milwaukee. He's from Milwaukee. He's a Milwaukee guy. He's going to, his family's there. He's going to continue to be tied to that community. He made a job decision. Um, it surprised a lot of people. And now they're going to try to beat him. <laughs> there you go. So that yeah. you got it. At some point, you, you sort of, move on to the next challenge. And yeah. that's now beating him and beating the Cubs. And leading the next challenge is now the new manager, Pat Murphy, who's I mean, he's a nude manager, but he's a very familiar face for the Brewers, having been with Craig Council as a bench coach that whole time. Pat Murphy, what can you tell us about him, and what do you expect to see from him in a managerial seat for the Brewers? He once broke Craig Council's nose. Whoa. <laughs> Have you guys heard that story? No. Oh, it's great. This so, sounds good already. Pat yeah. Murphy at a very young age, got a great opportunity to be the head baseball coach at Notre Dame. It's where he made his mark. Then he moved on to ASU, took them to a national championship. Um, but he, he, he has this, like, I, I don't know if he would call it a football mentality, but he, he thinks about coaching as, like, being an offensive lineman. You open holes for your players to run through. And he does PFP sometimes in spring training where he, yell, you know, he screams sure. at the guys like he's on a football field. So maybe this makes sense. But he's hitting fungos at – 18, 19 year old Craig Council on a frozen field somewhere in South Bend, terrible field. And he's just crushing <laughs> fungos as hard as he can. And Council wants more, more, more. And if you think his Craig Council is like, you know, as a ball player, he's skinny. That's not like pejorative. He's a skinnier guy. Skinny he was tiny at this time. Yeah. But he was really tough. Murphy loved him. And Murph's like, man, I might have gone a little too far. Well, of course, one of these balls takes a bad bounce, smokes Council in the face. Blood starts spewing everywhere. They send him off to the infirmary or whatever it is. An hour later, he's back and he wants more. And Pat Murphy was just crazy enough, as the legend goes, to hit him more. 
There you go. That's our that's, skipper, Cody. That's our uh, skipper. That's, that's that all, is, uh, yeah, that, that's, that, great story. that's how far those guys go back. And, you know, Craig Council, the way he's referred to it with Pat Murphy, they've had a baseball conversation for 30 years. Um, so now this is a different phase in their relationship. Um, we all flew down together uh, from Milwaukee. It was an interesting flight with David Stearns and um, Craig Council and Pat Murphy all on the same flight. I saw Ken Rosenthal had reported that too. So, um, that conversation, that relationship continues, but now look, it's now they're going to try to beat each other and that's life. And, and they both have important jobs to do. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on the Brewers, I guess, immediate future. Cause you mentioned David Stearns. He's now at the Mets council, obviously with the Cubs. Let's just to emphasize that again. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Corbin Burns on the trade ball. Trade block would Willie Adamas on the trade block. It seems like Brandon Woodruff's free Brandon agent Woodruff now. is you know technically free agent because he got yep. non tender, I believe, because of the injury. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, they just gave their top prospect a huge contract for like biggest contract for someone who's never made played in Major League Baseball. Uh, so they it seems like their their future still has some hope, but also it's like there's a lot of guys that are kind of in this phase of you don't know if they're even going to be question here. Marks. Yeah, There's like a lot of question marks. Like teams fall in these different buckets at the winter meeting. Some teams are like clear, like go for it. The Toronto Blue Jays, right? Yeah. All week long. The the Giants, they are they want to add, add, add. The Yankees have been all in the news with Juan Soto and Shohei and everybody. The Brewers could go in lots of different directions. They say um they are trying to win. I mean they they're they are going to go into next season trying to win the division again. And they're in a stretch of really great success. And that's why Pat Murphy got this opportunity to manage. The entire coaching staff is returning intact with the addition of Ricky Weeks as the associate manager. And they think that continuity is going to be really important because they've done a really good job. You know, it's like a handful of teams have a better winning percentage than the Brewers since the start of 18. And they've won a, a handful of division titles in that time. And the division is is there. I mean, it's there for like three, four teams have a shot yeah. to win this division next year. But you mentioned those guys. Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas have a year left in arbitration before hitting free agency. I don't know that I would say on the block, but I mean, just any player who's in that stage yeah. mm -hmm. becomes like a potential trade chip, whether it's now in the offseason where you have a full year to shop or you take them in the next season then kind of see where you stand mm -hmm. at the, the all-star break and, and heading into the trade deadline. So I can't tell you which direction it's going to go. And it makes them a really kind of fascinating team at a potential crossroads with a new manager, but still with a lot of pieces. And, and look, they've been successful over the last like five or six years. Yes. Christian Yelich was superstar for a couple of years there, but really it's like, it's those pitchers that they develop themselves. They got Freddie Peralta as a teenager turned him into a, a stud. Uh, Burns and Woodruff were both drafted and developed, and they've added around those guys. And that's the they've done it with pitching and really making smart decisions about how they deploy the pen and you know using guys in the right way. Now they have kind of a wave of hitters. You saw Sal Freelich is a good prospect. Garrett Mitchell, a really good prospect. Joey Weimer is like this big, gigantic center fielder who runs through walls. And now Jackson Churio, the prospect who they just signed, and he's got a great runway to opening day. So they're they're like in so many different ways. They they have these moving pieces where you could see this going in all kinds of different directions, 
they're going to try to transition to these young outfielders, these young position players, and no more Brandon Woodruff, but they, they do think they can still win. So I don't know. They're leaving here with like teams leave here with irons in the fire. They have like many irons in the fire that could have tremendous implications for what the next two, three years look like. I have the dreaded two-part question for you. You, you mentioned Council and how he's had these different ways. Number one on the question is he's talked about being a new voice and hearing new voices from the Cubs. Do you think there's ever a path that the Cubs and Brewers would be trade partners within the division just because there's that relationship of he knows one organization and he knows the guys on the other side? Or is that competition between them too tight that they would never do that? That's that's part A. And B is what type of manager tactically do you think we will see with the Cubs? Because you mentioned they had the pitching route in Milwaukee, but he may have a totally different type of roster in Chicago. So. Yeah. What type of guy can we expect to see during the game? Part one, you never say never in baseball. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, like the last true. three, we, the last month yeah. taught us that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'd be shocked. I'd be more shocked if the Brewers and Cubs made a trade than I was when I was shocked that Craig Council went to the Cubs. So you're that's saying my personal opinion. Tactically, you're right. You'll hear certain things from Kirk Council, and I think he even said this at Wrigley in his opening presser. He talks about base the team being a soup. Soup. Did, have yep. you heard the yeah. soup story? Oh, yeah, he started yes. that. Yeah, the soup. soup. And, and the soup, even when you make grandma soup, mm-hmm. and it's the same soup, it's always a little different. Like Every the onion's year. a little yeah. bigger, the carrots are a little sweeter, whatever it is, yeah. and it's like a little different soup. So he he thinks about um, teams that way, even when you have like the same core say the cubs have the same core for the next five years he's going to think about each team a little different the other word you hear from him a ton and ryan remembers this from from his time around the brewers a bunch is connectedness yep that is like a word he wants everybody to be connected and that's like you know i don't know maybe this sounds mumbo jumbo you're maybe you're asking more about x's and o's and moving bullpen moves and, and things like that but the concept of just um, a team being that, like really the concept of a team is really important. And that's Pat Murphy as well. And maybe some of that comes from Pat Murphy mm-hmm. because of the way he looked at um, running Notre Dame back in the day. So I think you, Cubs fans will hear a lot about those concepts as you get closer to spring training and the meetings they do in the morning. Um, you know, they like to bring guys up and introduce uh, all teams do things like this, yeah. but they've, he's got some unique ideas and, and does some fun things in terms of like everybody, he wants everybody to feel like they're pulling in the same direction. That's just a really important concept to him. Yeah. A, a little bit ago, you mentioned Christian Yelich, who has been like a, he, he is always someone that like Cubs fans don't like, right? Uh, because exactly. Um, I thought Cody was going to start booing. And there were, and obviously Cubs fans were really happy to see Christian Yelich go through a few down years. Yeah. This past season, he had a much a better a, a year much closer to what he was in 2018 and 2019. So my question to you is, what was it about Christian Yelich that he was able to have that type of year, and how sustainable is that for this? You know, like you said, cross potential crossroads for the Brewers. Well, like it, it's like what sort of caused him to dip is just as complicated as what caused him to rise. It's always like a bunch of everything. When he dipped, it was 
you know, he came into this new team and became like, like accessed every bit of talent he had and had like two magical years that were, if he continued to be that player year after year after year, it's a hall of famer, mm-hmm. which is so rare. So then like the pandemic happens, the new, the huge contract happens. Um, the shortened season happens. Uh, the falling the a pitch off his knee going into all that happens. And all of these things conspired to just make him into a little different player. And he didn't have the, that same magic. And I think this is an underrated thing, guys. If you look at that couple of years, 2020, 21, Christian Elge is not the only player who really was impacted by that weird year. I mean, Javi Baez was superstar Javi Baez. He's now a different player. And I think what they've tried to talk to Christian Yelich about, and he talks about this himself, is like, that's okay. You, you don't have to be the MVP of the league to be like a really good player who helps your team. So now he's sort of this leadoff Christian Yelich. He gets on base a ton. He's one of the best base runners I've ever seen in my life. But it's not the 40 homer Christian Yelich anymore. And it's older, health, um, dealing with the different pressures that you're under when you're in the position he's in is all that combination of things has all gone into it. And I think if he can sustain what he was last year, that's, that's a really good player. And like I said, they have these other young outfielders who are coming up. So there'll be some DH time for Yelich. But like if, if Sal Freelich can turn into a good big leaguer and uh, Garrett Mitchell when healthy is like an electric player who can play anywhere in the, in the outfield and run and they played great defense last year and Yelich really worked on throwing and being a better defender. So He's worked really hard to just be kind of, this is a councilism too, the best version of himself. You'll hear counts talk about that all the time. And, and I think what he'll say to a lot of uh, Cubs players when they go through these ups and downs or expectations is like, you can be like, just be the best version of yourself on that day. And that can be enough. And don't think you have to be the MVP of the league, I guess is, is the way I think about it. Okay. Well, you know, when it comes to when I think about the Brewers and their offense, I know this. You know, you mentioned a lot of those outfielders, and I always like just in my head, just I'm like, who, where, where did you come from? Who are you? <laughs> um, and, but I also know that they, you know, I know they have a, a good farm system, and they're able to, you know, develop guys, and we've seen that, and it's been a very frustrating process as me as for me as a fan. But um, I just I'm curious how they can how they're going to be able to keep having sustained success without Corbin Burns and like with everything that happened last offseason with the arbitration and now going into a walk year, I just don't see him making it past the trade deadline unless, unless the team is, you know, battling for a playoff spot. What are your thoughts on, on, on him in general? Well, I think, I think that's right. I mean, I think there's, I, I tried to talk to as many executives as I could hear this week about what do you think? And there's, you hear different, people are hearing different things from what they think is going to happen. And um, look, the, the scenario, if you do keep him and sort of like go for it, it's that you make him a qualifying offer at the end of the year. And then you get a high draft pick. If he inevitably goes and gets a big multi-year deal somewhere. Um, The other side of that is the risk of what happened with Brandon Woodruff. As you guys mentioned, he went through shoulder issues all this year. He's in the same, was in the same boat as Corbin Burns with one. This was supposed to be going into his next his last year before free agency, but they, they opted to non tender him and make him a free agent um, early. So you do risk, like if you're a team like the Brewers, it's always about cycling new 
talent in because what they don't want to do, and they've been very consistent and clear about this, they don't want to do that that full rebuild, that full teardown where you have five terrible years and you sort of like, I don't want to say irrelevant, but you sort of become irrelevant. Mm -hmm. You lose a lot of your fans and you're just really bad and you build it back up from the very bottom. They have this idea that you can, if you are make smart decisions and you consistently turn over that talent, trading Josh Hader a couple summers ago for the next thing that turned into the outfielder, Sturie Ruiz, who went to Oakland and turned into William Contreras who was there, the Brewers MVP this year. So that's what they're always going to try to do. So when you get towards the end, you have to make a call of like, when is the best moment to maximize this value? And, and look, it is tricky because it, it's really hard to do that. And then also try to like win the division every year. Yeah. So that's the battle they face. And that's why, They've, they've had interest um, here at the winter meetings. They've heard interest on Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas and, and other players, and they'll listen to that. I don't think they're a club short of this kid, Jackson Churio, they just gave this record extension to, that they are going to say anybody is untouchable. It, it is fascinating to see that fine line they walk between should we push closer to a rebuild or should we push in? And I wonder if the Diamondbacks run this postseason changes the way some teams might think about it yeah the cubs only lost they had one less win than the diamondbacks it's the team that beat them out of the postseason and somehow they went all the way to the world series it's such an expanded format and we've realized that the best team doesn't always win in baseball and the year before if you think about the brewers they missed the postseason by a game to the phillies and it was because the phillies won the season series head to head yeah in like may <laughs> so like that and then the mm-hmm. phillies go to the world series yeah. that year it, it is a fine line and the, the the phrase like this bite of the apple theory in baseball it's very charged in milwaukee because i think they've tried to exp- like david stearns when he was the gm he sort of used that to sort of describe his theory of you take as many bites of the apple as you can in other words you make the the postseason as often as you can year over year over year and you hope to be that team that catches fire like the D-backs did. They all of a sudden this bullpen that wasn't really their strength comes together, and yep. Kevin Ginkle is out there throwing gas, and it's like Brandon Fott, who I think we we, we still don't know if we're saying his name right. No, exactly. <laughs> has had, had a great. I feel run. like I'm swearing on accident. You know, <laughs> there's. I think you know, like when we do shows and when we talk about baseball, you you know the all in is like so satisfying when your team like goes all in and. It, that doesn't guarantee you anything in this particular this sport is weird that yeah, way for sure and the the theory the brewers have adopted is let's sustain this let's not do the peaks and, and crazy valley valleys let's try to make the post let's try to be a playoff caliber team every single year but do it in a sustainable way that we can try to catch fire and they haven't you know 2018 they came so close chris taylor and the in game seven against the Dodgers. Chris Taylor made this insane catch in left field that every Brewers fan listening knows exactly what I'm, it's like that play where every mm-hmm. fan knows I'm there in Cubs history. There's plenty of plays like this. Um, and it kept them from the world series. And then they go to play the nationals the next year. And a ball takes a weird bounce in the outfield with hater on the mound oh, yeah. and the nationals go all the way to the world series. These one little bounce, one moment in baseball is, is the, and here's another council thing. He is willing to, um, admit the role of luck in this sport much more than and it's in football and basketball too lucky bounce on the rim or in football a bobble or whatever it is 
But in baseball, luck is a huge, huge element. Not necessarily over the long haul of a, of a regular season, but like when you get in the postseason. Yep. So I'm mixing stories or whatever, but but it, it just seems to me like the, the, the Brewers theory has been try to make it as much as you can, and they've done that. And they're going to try to extend this out as long as possible. Adam, it's been so much fun. Hopefully we'll do it again. Maybe we'll do it early in the season and 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 revisit where the two teams are from the winter meetings period to maybe a month into the season if you're up for it. Yeah, because I think for both clubs, like the way I see the Cubs is from the outside is that could go in a bunch of different oh, yeah. directions. Like there's no that's the thing about the NL Central. The kind of I, I think it's interesting. Like, it's very open. There's you, you cannot pick a clear favorite. It's not like the NL West. I low-key feel like the Central is going to be one of the better divisions in the National League next season. Well, I think the teams feel like, when you talk to people, the teams feel like they're all sort of heading in the right direction. Yeah. They would make that argument, even, you know, the Pirates. Yeah. Um. So, and the Brewers, like, you know, the Brewers are in this interesting crossroads, <laughs> and they're going to try to just take one little – they could more stuff. They could win the division, or they could finish third. One hundred percent. And there's <laughs> you. There, I think all five teams you could yeah. s- say that about. And we can all agree that we hope the Cardinals finish in last place. <laughs> Absolutely. I just want interesting games. You Absolutely. Guys. You guys can root. <laughs> we will. <laughs> we will. <laughs> Bottom line: the Brewers are always going to be little brother. Love a lot of people there. Like to the vacation there. They're going to be little brother. I don't think they're ever going to win a World Series. Waited till Adam left to say that. Uh, don't forget, you want to try Hero Bread? Here's why I started trying Hero Bread. I love carby foods, okay? I love to eat a slice of bread. I love a good hamburger bun. I love a great tortilla. I don't want to eat fajitas without the tortilla. And I thought, how can I do this? Well, I can cut down on my carbs by trying Hero Bread. I can add more protein to my diet with Hero Bread. I can add more fiber to my diet with Hero Bread. And I can still have the light, fluffy texture that goes with Hero Bread. It has changed my diet. Uh, let me tell you, CHGO, we're getting you a deal, 10% off at Hero.co. That's H-E-R-O.co. They make sliced breads, buns, and tortillas available on Hero.co and also on Amazon. Right now, Hero Brand offering again, the CHGO family, 10% off your first order. Just go to Hero.co and use our code CHGO to save on Hero Bread today. That's H-E-R-O.co. Save 10% today. And then wash it down with a nice varsity cooler. Absolutely. You can do that or you can take all your Hero Bread and put it in your varsity cooler. That's right. (laughs) Make it a meal. It's an all-in-one meal. You know, just soak it down in there. (laughs) Make make that make sense any way you can. Uh, In some ways, like we like to say here, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Uh, If you need a perfect bag for your game day or to carry all your hero bread, varsity coolers will have you set game day and beyond with the best portable cooler and weekender duffel around. Uh, the it has a unique design with team colors. We have a Bears one back at the studio in, in Chicago, which is super cool. Uh, the bottom of it is like a map of like Chicago or state of Illinois. I think it's Chicago. Uh, it has landmarks, and then the lining of it is like the food scene. So like mm. the inside is mm. like hot dogs and pizza. It's probably Portillo's on there. It's basically Portillo's yeah. with let's be real uh it doubles as a cooler so it's waterproof and uh double insulated and a travel uh, travel duffel as well so it and it fits in a golf cart and it has it uses carry-on luggage uh you know and it's it's a perfect gift for this time of year 
uh, for Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. Uh, it has 21 different teams represented. Obviously, you should all get the Bears one uh, as much as they make us miserable. Uh, you should definitely get that one. So uh, they're perfect for any football fan in your life. Built to show up in style to a party or repping around town. Use a gym bag even. In, you can wipe down the inside. So it doesn't even, again, you can just use it for pretty much anything. Yeah. All right. Like I said, you can put your hero bread in there too. Head over to varsitycoolers.us and use code CHGO at checkout for 10% off your order. All right. You know them, you love them. <laughs> Who are we talking to? <laughs> One time Chicago Cubs beat writer Gordon Whitmire, now a beat writer of the Cincinnati Reds. To the Cincinnati Inquirer. Yeah. Yes. Very nice. Cincinnati By Red. the way, I'm a two time Cubs writer. That's right. Sometimes. And, uh, NBC Sports Chicago. That's right. And now on the Red Bee. You what the bottom line is, Gordon, you know the division. Yeah. And so we've talked on this podcast about the Cardinals. We talked about the Brewers. But the Reds are that other team. Not that the Pirates aren't good. The Reds are that other team that seems like they could be on the verge of something successful, dare I say. They have yeah. some young players when I want I thought they were going to be better last year. I'll be honest. I thought they'd be better last year. Wait a minute, they, before the season started? No, once they started playing the season. I looked at the Reds, and I was like, well, they might be better than I thought. And then they were the Reds. I think it was the other way around. They no, were the Reds I, first. They, they called up uh, Matt McClain in, in yeah. the middle of May, and they got better. That's when they came to Chicago and swept the Cubs. Yeah, you're right. Then, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and you're then right. they went on a horrid tear to the All-Star break. L.A. De La Cruz L.A. De La Cruz called up on June 6th. Mm -hmm. The key was the day before that, Andrew Abbott was called up. The left-hander, who uh, his first ten starts, I think he, I think they lost only one or two of those games at an ERA about two. So is hope high in Cincinnati then? Could, could the Cubs fans be worried about the Cincinnati Reds? Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Not not yet. They they have moves yet to make uh, this off season. They did a, a nice job adding a couple pitchers, Emilio Pagan, um, some bullpen depth. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But Nick Martinez, I think, was a a big uh, signing. It's a it's a two year deal, but it's front loaded. It's got an opt out. It's probably ultimately going to be a one year deal. But it's, he's a he's a guy motivated to start. He did a good job when he started uh, for the Padres last year, and um, he went to Korea to play. And then once he came back, the last two years put up put up some pretty good seasons. He he looks like a different pitcher. He should help, but they still uh, they still want a legit veteran starting pitcher to add and if they're gonna if they're successful in doing that and, and they've talked to the white Sox about dylan Cease, if if they're successful at adding somebody it doesn't have to be Cease, maybe it's glass now they're in on him and one of those types of guys they've got enough depth in the pitching staff beyond that enough talent it's all very young that that one veteran guy plus nick martinez could help sort of set a tone do a little more than they did last year as pitchers they could be put they could be very very dangerous if their young players stay the course and even take a step up and you mentioned glasnow and Dylan cease that, that being involved in like more higher profile kind of moves like that it's not like a i don't know i don't i don't know if history shows that that's a reds thing so what what is it besides like you mentioned just needing that veteran starter but is there anything else really driving that like if we go and get this guy, like you said, we could be an extremely dangerous team. Is there anything else driving them to do stuff that we don't normally see the Reds do? Well, th there have been times they've seized a moment. Um, 
this is a team that's never had a number one overall draft pick. So, I mean, it gives you an idea that even though we tend to think of them as a small market team that, that comes and goes, which is largely true, they do try. Like, they, they don't – they haven't traditionally fully tanked for multiple seasons. They've tried. So, so, so they've been competitive. And along the way, when they've had those, those stretches – They've paid some players. They they paid Castellanos a four year deal, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, what th- three four years ago, whatever it was. I mean, it had opt outs in it, and I think they expected him that if he performed, he was going to mm-hmm. exercise, and he did. But it, it was a sixty four million dollar commitment. Um, Joey Votto, who's been who was there for seventeen years, was on a ten year two twenty five contract. Uh, when when the option year came up this off season, and they wound up. Uh, not picking up the option. That's where some of their money comes from. Sure. So between between kind of seizing a moment that they see, between having a really low payroll because they sold off a lot of assets in recent years, and then now Votto's off the books, they've got room to spend. And with all the young players that they've had come up, they've got depth now built into the process. They just don't have the front line veteran guys that especially on a pitching staff that you can say that's why they'll win Mm -hmm. but if they get one or two of those guys if nick martinez plays out they get one more guy they the bullpen does anything close to what it did last year they could be in play ah so i'm getting the feeling that maybe you're a little down on hunter green then because i i know he was hurt this past year but he has a ton of upside and uh, he, he he does. Yeah. And, and, I, and there's a curse that comes with that when you, don't, <laughs> I mean, potential, it, it, they call it that for a reason, right? That's true. And, and he shows flashes. He did it at Wrigley field. We saw it, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but he hasn't put it together for even like a month or six weeks at a time that he's got a lot to prove. He's the, I won't even, I don't even think he's their best starting pitcher in terms of, talent and necessarily upside he might be but nick lodolo the left-hander is is one of those guys too um so if they're both healthy and they're and they're able to figure it out if hunter green can figure it out and and they think he can they gave him a contract he's got a six-year extension last year then that goes a long way toward this process and if he figures it out and establishes himself if ashcraft picks up where he left off last year when he seemed to figure it out if Lodolo comes in and he's healthy all year and he does what he did w- when he was healthy before, that's three guys that are in their third years that uh, will give you a chance to win every day. That's a hell of a start. And then you had Martinez and then the guys that debuted last year, like Andrew Abbott and Brandon Williamson. And they got a couple guys behind that. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's a lot of talent, but it's, it's a lot of potential talent. And so until that plays out at the big league level, for extended period of time, it's a crapshoot, right? Yep. By definition. Yeah, fair enough. And I think one guy that, you know, he at least came on the scene as strong as we've ever seen, it felt like, um, Ellie De La Cruz. For six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was out of this world. And then obviously, you know, the, 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 the base numbers trended down the rest of the season. He, he went through general, you know, rookie. rookie it was more than, right? Well, like, yeah. So, really what I'm asking is, what what can I mean? What do you expect to see out of La De La Cruz in his, you know, I guess his second season in the big leagues after a season again that he started off so hot and then trended down the rest of the way? That is the perfect guy to ask about because he's the 
one, he's probably the top of the list of who the hell knows, right? There you go. His skill set is off the charts. His ceiling is the highest of anybody on that team. Um, but he struck out almost 40% of the time after the all-star break last year. And if he can't get that figured out, you can't play every day in the big leagues. And he's six foot three or something. His strike zone's enormous. So he's, he's got to figure that out. Um, that's why and people don't, in Cincinnati have not liked that. I ask this question and, and write about the answers. What if he starts the season in the minors? Oh, blasphemous. I mean, look, the guy that played the second half of last season didn't put up big league numbers. Well, he's he's a big league talent. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he's beyond big league talent, but you have to do it. Yeah, I think I think in a way it's similar to Morrell. You were here for Morrell's first season. Yeah, the second half of that wasn't what they needed to see. The strikeout numbers were really high. He started the season in the minor leagues and now, you know, not a lot of people agree with that outside of the Cubs organization, but that's what they did. Yeah. Well, it's not just him. It's, it's top prospects. It's PCA. I know that was a small sample size at the end of the season for Pete Crow Armstrong, but it's why I don't want to see the Cubs just say we're counting on the prospects. That's great for sustained success is having those prospects come up. But there's almost one thing you can always guarantee about a prospect, even Ellie De La Cruz. They will struggle at some point. Now, his went on longer than, yep. than he thought, but he's a very highly thought of prospect. No doubt. No so doubt. take him and say, okay, Gordon's talking about, I wonder if he should start in the minors. All of the Cubs' great prospects, they might. some of them you might even frame as can't miss talent at some point, like as for everyday major league players or definitely in a rotation somewhere for a long period of time. That's great. But until they prove it consistently at the major league level, they are still prospects and potential. And it's a dangerous thing, I think, for every single team in this division. My God, it, nobody knows that better than Cubs fans. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, Felix PA, I mean, go back before that. Patterson, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Kevin even, even more recent than that. Or, Brett, Jackson. Brett, Brett Jackson. Brett Jackson. Josh, Josh Vitters. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 two, the two guys there. Yeah. Matt Mervis, maybe. Well, maybe, but see, he's maybe he's maybe the second okay, time around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm not out. I'm just saying, like, yeah. he was very much hyped considering his performance in minor leagues, and he struggled last year in the 100 plate appearances he got. So it's kind of he's a big question going in this year. Yeah. So, yeah. So the the Reds win 100 games or <laughs> or don't or 65. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> is that really? It's, no, no, no. What, but what do you think the window is well, for realistic for betters like uh, well, Cody? I'll, let me say this: like you, you're mentioning all these young talent, and everything. And I think as far as uh, on the like uh, position players, I think guys like T.J. Friedel, Friedel, yeah, Friedel, yeah. he's someone that I'm really impressed by. Matt McClain, obviously, like he was good throughout the like from the moment he was on the team all the way yeah, through he until just he got, got hurt, league, right? Yeah. The him and then uh, I think he played third base. Uh, oh, Noel de Marte. No, no, uh, no. Christian Encarnacion. Spencer Steer was probably their MVP last year. Right. He was still a rookie. Right. So those three, I think that's like that's at least a start. And then obviously Cruz has like 
this all this potential and you know we have to watch it play out and hopefully you know you always hope that an offseason of adjustments will you know propel a player to a next level mm -hmm. we saw with chris bryan even even though he won rookie of the year but he even had a better year in 2016 right um but like that i i know potential is a scary thing but if you add some veterans with that which i think the reds easily could They're serious about it yeah, yeah then they can be a they can be a scary team like they they were they were oh like we you forgot said, jonathan india too hey, well yeah. you know yeah, they could trade him and, and they, get we'll get see. some uh they could be a guy the the ideal would be to keep him and if, okay. and if they were able to do that then he's a big part of your lineup and a big part of your clubhouse by the way uh sure. and yeah and then you just you're just that much better but the thing that the thing that like in cincinnati rightfully so Fans got excited about this. They started turning out to games. The viewership was up. All of that, and for all the right reasons. And 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 long term, it should play. But they, at the end of the day, for all the talk about playoffs and just missing the playoffs, they won eighty-two games. One more loss, and they're not even a winning team. Yeah. And one of the things about that team was there. There were a lot of intangibles with that team, and they won games they had no business winning and it was because they were young and they believed and they played together they it, it was a it was a special team in a special moment i think some of that culture and i hate the idea of culture i hate that because <laughs> talent trumps culture every damn day of the week especially in baseball but um but it does add it does enhance what you got going i think some of that will carry over but yeah there's no um they have to grow. The talent has to grow. And there's just, it could go either way. And uh, if, I mean, if they lost five more games, that would be stunning to people, but it's only five games different. And, you know, maybe they, if knows? they won two more, they could have been in the world series last year. Right. They had the tiebreaker on Arizona. Unlike uh, some other team in the yeah, season. Right. <laughs> did they, did they get the number two pick in this uh, draft yes. lottery? Oh boy. That's, that's the kind of year huh? it's been for them. Right. When, I was when? so mind blown. I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, oh. Winning record. You miss a playoffs, but you miss a playoffs by just enough to get in the draft lottery. Right. And then you jump 11 spots and the Cubs get 14. I think they jumped a spot, didn't they? Because may have jumped the spot, but not a lot. Mm. Whatever. <laughs> now, if Joe Burrow could just play baseball. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Hey, how about how about his backup? Yeah. Jake what about Brownie? He's, he's oh, yeah, he's offensive player of the week. There you it's go. a three hundred yard passing game there you the go. other night. Hey, all I know he's is no that, Tyson Bagent. All I know is that guy played at the U Dub. Uh, no, that's why you wanted to bring him up. Uh, he, he succeeded on the highest up. stages. He's used to the spotlight. That, Watch out, AFC playoff field. I'm sure you're excited about <laughs> Texas. I didn't give a rat's ass about the Cincinnati Bengals until <laughs> Burrow got hurt. With all due respect to Burrow. Yeah, right. No offense. We won't tell the Reds fans to watch this video. Hey, Gordon, you're going to want to get fitted out with the best sports gear around heading into the season. You always have the and nice blazer. Always a nice blazer, but throwing a few hoodies, shoes, signs, bobbleheads, everything in between. Maybe you're in Aloha shirt. Maybe you're going to take up Ryan's uh, wardrobe in a press box next year. Little, a little little Hawaiian shirt every once in a while. I kind of like that idea. Yeah. That's pretty sharp. Yeah. Yeah. When the weather gets nicer and. Yeah, you, you look. I, I started taking it from Gonzo. He, he he's always wearing the Hawaiian shirts. Hawaiian Wittenmeyer. Oh, passing the baton like to the uh, next generation. Uh, Wittenmeyer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, our set decorations often back in Chicago, 
donated by Foco. A lot of awesome pieces in our set. Uh, you always will enjoy them. So check out Foco.com. Uh, hey, thanks for stopping by. We're going to do, oh, yeah. can we do this again? Like early season or maybe right before the season? No, sure, whatever, better yet, spring training. Yeah. Well, I'll be in Arizona. I hope so. And you guys will be out there somewhere, right? <laughs> we'll be around. Hope so. Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> hope so. Yeah, take winter. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. This is fun. All right. Thanks for checking out the CHGO Cubs podcast. And until the next time, fly the W. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We all silly like the mayor. 